Before we begin today's show, I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a new element to the podcast. I'm now officially on Patreon. Have you ever thought to yourself, why didn't Derek ask that question? I know I certainly have. Then head over to patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast and you'll get the chance to ask the guest of my show a question. You'll also get early access to episodes and a chance to vote on show topics. I'd also like to give a shout out to our patrons, Josh Shinnewerk and Tim Spivey. Thank you guys so much for your contributions. And again, if you'd like to be a part of our awesome community, just head over to patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and I am happy to welcome to the show this week producer, director, and writer Suzanne De Laurentiis. Suzanne, how are you? Hi there. Great. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to to do the show. It's interesting because I mentioned this on the show last week. It's been really cool connecting with people like yourself and other filmmakers through. And I, I got to give them a shout out, the October Coast uh, PR group, who I've actually been working with uh, behind the scenes for, for, I think, maybe a year, maybe a little bit more. It's, it, time kind of all runs together at this point. But um, it, it's been really cool to connect with, you know, several filmmakers throughout the last year or so. So happy to talk with you. Well, it's a pleasure. For sure. So I'm uh, just going to kind of dive right in because I, I feel like this has kind of been the uh, almost ad nauseum question that I've asked everyone since March. But how have you been handling the uh, COVID-19 pandemic and how has it been affecting your career? Well, I mean, obviously, it's a pandemic, so we don't have a lot of freedom um, to sort of go business as usual. But so far, we, we've been pretty lucky. We've cut our crews down to a very small group. We're being very careful. Everybody gets tested. They have their temperatures taken. Um, we're still continuing to shoot. We actually have two television shows that we've been shooting for the last couple of months. And, you know, we, we just have to keep it small and keep it safe. And I've been curious about that, too, because I know everything shut down for the longest time, like completely. But I've heard over the last you know, month or so that productions in Georgia and other areas uh, have slowly started to resume. And I'm, I'm assuming they're all you know, what you've been talking about as far as being a smaller scale, everyone getting tested and everything. So it's, it's good that the industry is slowly starting to, to come back. Well, listen, I hope so. Again, you know, we we don't know what the future holds. We just have to be very careful and keep our fingers crossed that we can continue working without having another complete shutdown. Again, I I see the the COVID numbers are rising, so I have a feeling that might be coming sometime soon. Hopefully it doesn't lead to that because it's been nice kind of seeing a little bit of normalcy. I mean, I've also told people that I don't think what we knew as normal pre-COVID will ever be like that again. Like, I think there will be some certain levels of precaution taken, you know, even after the pandemic ends, but hopefully the numbers won't rise too much more and we can continue to, you know, have productions and getting to see new content. 
No, I have to agree with you, um, Derek. I think in the future, this is going to be somewhat the new normal. And I also want to mention today is Veterans Day, which is one of my very favorite days of the year. And my company has an organization called Operation Hollywood, and we train wounded veterans to work on our film sets. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been hearing about a lot more, you know, military um, themed groups like that because we we have a a group here in town that started a few months ago called Defenders of Freedom, where they mm-hmm. actually help um, those who have been te- dealing with like you know post war stress and basically pre- helping to prevent um, suicide because it's been proven that up to twenty two um, military members commit suicide a day because yeah, of the, I... the emotional trauma that they've dealt with. So uh, it, hearing that is great. Yeah, I, I actually think that number is a little higher than that. Um, I work with quite a few veterans groups, and I think part of the problem is that when they do call in for help or they do call in to try to schedule appointments to see counselors or get help, they're put on a wait list for months and months and months. So that's one thing that we've got to figure out a way to change. For sure. What was it that made you initially want to to work with the military with things like this? You know, I grew up in a small town in um, central Jersey. It was about 15 minutes from Fort Dix and McGuire Air Force Base. So when I was a teenager, towards the end of the Vietnam War, I did a lot of volunteering with the USO. And um, it was quite an eye-opener for me, the Vietnam War. As you know, um, there were so many men and women that were either injured or killed or didn't come home at all. And I just kept thinking to myself, I I hope and pray there's something I can do, you know, what can I do to, to help? So, um, in my, in the early eighties, I came up with this program and it's just been so wonderful. We were actually presented with a civilian medal for the military for our philanthropy. That's great. That, which was quite, a, which was quite an honor. I can tell you, I've won many filmmaking awards, but um, that medal is was just. Um, I was just completely humbled by it. Well, I'm sure the gratification of knowing that. I mean, I know you put a lot of hard work into acting, producing. You know, the the film industry is a very hard industry to work in, but mm-hmm. I, I imagine it can't compare to the gratification of helping. You know, a military veteran who might have been you know, not in the greatest place and you making a difference in that person's life has got to be worth it tenfold. Oh, it certainly is. I can tell you it's definitely a privilege and a joy for sure. Absolutely. So kind of backtracking a little bit, uh, you said you grew up in Jersey. What was it that initially made you want to work in the entertainment industry? Was it something that you knew from an early age or was it something that, you know, came along a little bit later in life? Um, my, actually my first cousin was Frankie Avalon. So when I was growing up, when I was a kid, we used to go see him play all the time and I would go backstage and visit with him. And then I started singing and playing the trumpet like he did. And in my early teens, I did a lot of on and off Broadway. And then I had a nightclub act in the late seventies. And then in the early eighties, um, I started going behind the camera and more into film and television. So pretty much from a young age, I would say, but he was kind of my, my inspiration growing up. Do you think that working, being in the the background of theater, do you think that helped 
the transition to film and TV? Oh, I think so. Years ago, everybody started out in theater. It's very different now in film and television. You don't necessarily have to have that background. But back in the 60s and 70s, I know that was really important to have those um, those types of credits on your resume, especially if you were coming from New York and, and coming to L.A. Well, and a lot of actors that I've talked to who started in theater, they say that because I, I respect theater acting so much because you have so much that you have to remember, and it's almost like you go out there with no safety net. You know, if mm-hmm. you're on set and you forget a line, you can always stop, look at the script mm-hmm. or ask for your line, and then you continue. But with theater, you're out there in front of an audience, and if you mess up, it's almost like you have to make it you know, part of the show. And sometimes it can you know, work out to be a funny moment or even better than what was originally planned. But, yeah, I, I respect the theater business so much because like I said, it's, it's like you're out there without a safety net. Right. Right. Pretty much. So you've worked in the industry for so long. How has the industry evolved since you began your film career? Oh my goodness. I, it's very, very different. I can tell you in the seventies and and eighties, it was very much a male dominated business. It was hard for women, female directors and producers to break in. There was a very small amount of women at the time, um, you know, that, that were in that business. However, that's really changed in the last 20 years. And I'm so happy to see that more women and especially women of diversity are now being recognized for their, their talents and their accomplishments in the film business. Well, it's really cool to see, especially, and I'm sure it goes back even farther, but I've especially noticed on screen the last several years, there have been more female led films. Like you look at the latest star Wars trilogy the main hero was a female. You look at Wonder Woman, one of the best superhero films to me of the last (laughs) decade. Uh Obviously the lead is a female. So it's, it's cool getting to see, you know, all these great actresses get the opportunity to not just be in a film, but to lead it and then do a great job doing it. Oh no, absolutely. Like I said, and especially, you know, the, the diversity of women, um, there's so many more opportunities and so many doors now that have opened up. So the industry is definitely changing, but I think changing for the better. Something else I'm curious about, because I've mentioned this on my show too, but as someone who's been in the industry as long as you have, how do you feel about the introduction of the streaming media like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime? Because back then it was like you had to go out to Los Angeles, it seemed like, to make films. And now... You can go to Atlanta. You can go to New Orleans. You can really make a film with your phone because we have, right. we have you know, <laughs> like it, the iPhone has a good enough camera to where it's a decent looking film. So right. how, how do you feel about the introduction of all these different avenues? And I got to throw in YouTube there as well. But right. a, a lot of aspiring filmmakers have so many more avenues to showcase their work. Well, I think when you talk about that, then it's a great thing for people that they are, you know, able to um, be in a business that was, you know, kind of closed if you didn't have a connection 
or you didn't have a studio deal or you didn't have some kind of deal, it was impossible to have whatever you've made get shown. And with streaming now, it's certainly opened up a lot of more avenues for filmmakers. Honestly, I'm kind of on the fence. <laughs> I kind of miss the old days a little bit. Um, streaming sometimes um, plays a bit of a monopoly. And now I think with a lot of the theater change, uh, theater chains closing because of COVID, I think eventually people aren't going to be leaving their living rooms to watch anything anymore. I think everything's pretty much going to be all streaming at some point. Which in that aspect I say is a shame because to me there's there's nothing like going to see a movie in a theater on opening night. Like it's this movie that you've waited months to see. You get your ticket, you get your popcorn, you sit in your seat. You know, yeah, it's, it's like when um, the Force Awakens came out. You know, I grew up a huge Star Wars fan, and when the Force Awakens came out <laughs> back in 2015, just as soon as the logo popped on screen, and just hearing the roar from the audience, you know, you right. can't replicate that sitting in your living room. Right. Oh no, I agree a hundred percent. I think it's important that as humans, the socialization of just doing things like that is very important. Again, I. The isolation of, you know, the whole streaming platforms, I I don't know how healthy that is. People aren't getting out and conversing with others and, you know, being in the general population for entertainment. I just, I'm not sure how how healthy that's going to be for the future, but we may not have a choice. Hopefully that won't be the case. And uh, something else that I think could very well happen once the pandemic starts to calm down a bit and it's you know may not be a non-factor i mean i think it's going to be around for a while longer than people might think but i I think with you know because regal recently shut down their doors again amc Mm -hmm. i don't know is very far behind i think we could see the return of like your smaller locally owned movie theaters that aspect i think would be kind of cool Oh, for sure. And hey, look, the drive-ins are doing a booming business. <laughs> we need to go back to drive-ins. Um, they're they're doing a booming business right now. So maybe drive-ins will make a comeback. Yeah, there was one here, uh, I think back in May and June, there was like a traveling uh, drive-in business that stopped by here uh, a couple of times to show different movies. And it was, a, I'd never done a drive-in movie before. And it was really cool. You know, I'd heard stories about it, but uh, it was really cool just, you know, sitting in your car, you turn your radio to whatever station it is, and you're just staring at a giant screen. I, I loved it. I, I would love if, you know, more drive-ins made a comeback. Oh, sure. I remember going to drive-ins in the 60s when I was a kid. That was the big thing that we used to look forward to. Nobody wanted to sit inside of a movie theater. You wanted to go to the drive-in. I mean, you could do that. You could also do, you know, amphitheater-style, like outdoor theaters mm-hmm. that that could be a possibility too but I, I i guess what i'm trying to get at is that i like the streaming aspect from as someone who wants to make movies i look at it as oh well, i'd have an avenue to you know put my work on but there's mm-hmm. just something about the movie theater experience like it's more than just going to a movie it's just like an event you know right. you go with your friends and then you all hang out afterwards and talk about what you liked about the movie and what you didn't like about it 
Oh, and I especially miss the big movie premieres. Even with my company, we always do big movie premieres with red carpets and press. And we haven't been able to do any of that in the last year. That was one of the, because I went to Los Angeles for the first time a couple of years ago and did the whole Walk of Fame and saw the Chinese theater and everything. And I was just like, man, this looks mm-hmm. so cool. Because I, I remember, you know, seeing clips as a kid of, you know, uh, celebrities on the red carpet before they'd go in and watch the movie and everything. And it's, yeah, I, I hope that does come back at some point because I, I really miss it. Me too. Me too. So talk to me about the, because an aspect of the film industry that I feel like is not talked about very much is the producing and the business side of filmmaking, Mm -hmm. because when people think of movies, they think of, you know, the A-list actors, they think of the directors, they think of the special effects, but what goes into a producer's job when it comes to getting a film made? Well, let's see. I would have to say it's brutal, stressful, exhausting, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, extremely challenging. Um, However, I have a true passion for it, so I enjoy it. It's not for everybody, Uh, but it's definitely a a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour, every minute of every day for months and months and months until the film is finished and delivered. It's hard work. It is extremely hard work and very stressful. <laughs> well, and people don't think of the fact that there is that other side to film. I mean, it, it takes a lot of logistics, even, you know, to make a short film, you know, because I, I got to make one a couple of years ago. And it was something that I didn't realize until the process actually started. I was like, OK, I've got to make sure that the cast and crew are fed. I've got to make sure I've got the locations all that type of stuff. There's, I'd call it the less glamorous part of filmmaking, but it's very much a a necessary part. Yes, it's organized chaos. I think that's a perfect description for it. <laughs> organized chaos. Yes, you really have to love it to do it because it's extremely hard work. But like I said, I have a passion for it, so I truly enjoy it. Well, and I, I think it, it speaks volumes to those who who do it because it's almost it's almost like a thankless job. I feel like you know, like you producers are mentioned, but again, people don't really think of what all they actually have to do in order to get the movie off the ground. Right. Yes. So, talk to me about. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about your um, one of your latest films, uh, Middleton Christmas. Um, yes. So what what was kind of the inspiration behind uh, getting this movie made? And then uh, how was the experience making it? Well, I wanted to do a holiday movie, but I didn't want to do sort of your typical run of the mill Christmas movie. You know, there's a million of them. And we I wanted to do something a little different. So with Middleton Christmas, we kind of had the Christmas formula of people falling in love and. Uh, a group of students trying to save the school that's, you know, running out of funds in their small town. But then we added some other, you know, more of a real life drama feel to it where one of the students gets into a car accident and one of the other students gives them a kidney for a kidney transplant. Um, so it was really wonderful to sort of partner up with 
Life Legacy and Donate Life, big organ donor association. And we did a big event for them a couple weeks ago, just kind of educating people about being organ donors. So even though it was a, a feel good Christmas movie, it also had a really important message as well. Which I think is important because, as you mentioned, when you think of holiday movie, you think of almost like the cheesy family dynamic of, you know, you got the goofy dad, you have the overreactive mom, you have the kids who are always getting in trouble. And it's like you've seen one Christmas movie, you've seen them all. But it's good to hear that, you know, you wanted to take that that aspect, but put a little bit more of a different twist on it because that's that's something that I've been noticing with a lot of these uh, indie movies that I've been watching is that they take the typical formula but add just that little bit of a twist to it to make it seem like almost a completely different experience. Yes, that's basically what we did. So, and I, I noticed that you were um, you were one of the writers for this yes, movie. So, I, uh, yes. So how how was it because you know, you've produced so much what was it like being able to write and essentially conceive a story like this Well I mean I usually do most of that on our projects I'm usually the one that comes up with the creative idea and you know kind of puts it together and then we hire other writers to come in so um I've kind of worn that hat on several occasions Okay very cool And um, I want to let you know about the other two shows we have coming out, too. We have a show that um, I'm doing called Suzanne's Saturday Night Scares, where I do wraparounds for old classic movies from the 70s. And then we have another show called Very Frightening Tales, which is kind of the spinoff of The Twilight Zone and um, Night Gallery and kind of Tales from the Crypt, where it's compilations of horror shorts, and that's called Very Frightening Tales. So both of those shows should be coming out this summer. Sign me up for both of those. Those actually sound really <laughs> cool. I'll send you some info on them. Um, before we wrap up, I do want to ask my uh, Patreon question for the week. Mm-hmm. This comes from Josh Shinnewark. What's your favorite project you've ever worked on? I would have to say Tenth and Wolf. It was a mafia drama I did 16 years ago. Um, Bobby Moresco and Chaz Palmatieri wrote it with James Marston, Giovanni Ribisi, um, and the late Brad Renfro. That was my favorite, favorite one of all. Fantastic. I love that you were able to just jump right in and say, boom, I know my favorite one. Because usually it's, you know, people have to sit and think, but you just jumped right oh, in. No. <laughs> That's my favorite. Love it. So um, as we start to wrap up here, this is where I, I usually ask about, you know, one piece of advice you'd have to anyone who wants to work in the film industry. But we mentioned earlier about how it's become more prevalent of women having prevalent roles in film, whether it's directing, acting, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. What kind of advice would you have to an aspiring female filmmaker? Um, One thing, you have to be extremely thick-skinned. I can't say that enough. You have to be able to let things roll off. Um, You can't easily be rattled by things when they don't go your way. You you have to have a passion and love what you do and do what you love. And um, be very thick-skinned, like I said. (laughs) That's very good advice. And last question, do you have any website or social media you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow you? 
Um, sure, they can go to SuzanneDLuenisProductions.com. Um, we have uh, Suzanne Saturday Night Scares on Instagram. They can just Google us and they'll be able to see all our social media platforms. You'll definitely have one new follower after we wrap up this interview. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure, Derek. Thank you so much for having me on the show. So if you'd like to follow this show on social media, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. If you want to subscribe to the show, it's available on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast. Just search for the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm also on Patreon at patreon.com slash D Diamond Podcast. And of course, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can check out all their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's show. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. Thursday.